Hello, and welcome to another audio version of Burnt Toast. This is a newsletter where we explore questions and some answers about fat phobia, diet culture, parenting, and health. I am Virginia Soul Smith. I'm a journalist who covers weight stigma and diet culture. I'm the author of The Eating Instinct and the forthcoming Fat Kid Phobia. And today I'm really delighted to be chatting with Crystal Maldonado, who is the author of Fat Chance Charlie Vega, one of my favorite YA books. Favorite books, period, I think. Um, oh, and, my God. <laughs> and she, her new book, which is coming out in February, is called No Filter and Other Lies. Crystal, welcome. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't believe you said it's maybe one of your favorite books <laughs> of all time. I'm going to go cry. <laughs> um, I cried when I read it. I love it very deeply. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> I've been fangirling you on social for quite a long time since the book came out. So, yeah. No. When you... You, I fangirl you. And when you reached out, I was like, what? Oh my God, my dreams are coming true. <laughs> well, that's hilarious. Um, mutual fangirl then. So everyone listening, just get ready for a mutual fangirl episode because that's what we're doing. <laughs> so Crystal, why don't we start with you telling us a little more about you, your work, your family, just for folks who aren't, who don't know you yet. Yeah, perfect. So as you mentioned, I am the YA author of Fat Chance Charlie Vega. Um, so I just entered into the publishing realm. So that was my first book ever. Um, and you know, I have a day job where I do, um, higher ed marketing, social media specifically marketing. Um, and I live in Western Massachusetts. I have a great husband who was the inspiration behind the love story in Fat Chance Charlie Vega. <laughs> Um, I have like together, we have this adorable dog. His name's Obi and we have a two-year-old named Maya. Um, and we're always, yeah. And we're always, um, trying to find new adventures to kind of explore. And personally, I love things like glitter. I love Beyonce. I love having a lot of feelings. Um, and I love trying to dismantle things like fat phobia and capitalism. So there's that. <laughs> I am so here for dismantling fat phobia and capitalism with glitter. That's amazing. Um, we all we all bring something, and I yes. bring glitter. You know, <laughs> I'm very here for the glitter. Um, we, glitter is a controversial topic in my house because my husband hates glitter because it's like so hard to clean up okay. with kids and art projects, and like he like can't even talk about it without being <laughs> very irate. And my daughters and I are kind of like, but glitter is so glitter. Great. It sparkles. <laughs> what more do you need? What more do you need? Yeah, I know. It's like one of those, like, I'm always like, okay, let's do the glitter project outside. Cause you know, I want to be like hold space for his mess tolerance and that's I get fair. It. It's fair. But, um, yeah, but I'm always like, well, the glitter nail polish isn't messy or the, you know, oh, that's a good one. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket because yeah. my husband wants me to feel like I can do whatever I want with the glitter. But then sometimes if he finds the rogue glitter on right. his head or right. something, it's like, <laughs> It is true that once glitter enters your home, it will never not be in your home. I like know. it is literally like we actually, I don't think we've purchased glitter for an art project in like five years and <laughs> we'll still find it in places. So yes. it is a problematic substance that way, but it is also very joy inducing. So exactly. I'm here, I'm here for it. It's just sprinkling joy that, yep. you know, you find later. It's fine. <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Some joy in your, uh, yeah, in your bathroom floor later. Exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about Fat Chance Charlie Vega. Um, I want to start with Charlie because, I mean, this is such a wonderful novel. And particularly, like, when I read it last year, like, it was such a bright spot in 
pandemic life and like <laughs> needing something good. Um, so, and I just, I love so much about Charlie in particular, how, you know, you've kind of subverted a lot of expectations and stereotypes about her, that it is a love story that's like really sweet and well done. Um, but I would love to, yeah, hear some of her backstory. I mean, what's Charlie's origin story for you? So I really went into this book very much wanting to write a fat rom-com. So as someone who had just loved reading love stories and romances, and especially within the young adult genre, I feel like I spent my whole life wondering like, okay, well, is there room for fat folks to fall in love within that genre? Because it seems like I never saw that or like, I mean, we, I was lucky if fat people existed in young adult realms to begin with. And then there were all of these like things, like they had to fit into these weird boxes that didn't make sense. And certainly wasn't me. Like I was a total dreamer like Charlie and I wanted to be kissed and I wanted someone to love me. And so that was really what I wanted to do with this was, was make her into this person who is soft and she Mm -hmm. is dreamy and wants what she wants and kind of embraces that yearning in ways that I think fat people don't always get to do right. Like I have always felt that if fat, if me as a fat person yearns for something, it's like, considered pathetic. Like I'm not supposed to want anything, you know? And, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's weird. <laughs> yeah. I am, I am a human. And you so are I'm allowed like, to want, of course we are yeah. all allowed to want. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so that was really what I wanted. I wanted this like fluffy book that had all of these like typical romance tropes, but for a fat girl who gets to be the main character, she gets to be desired. Mm-hmm. She doesn't lose weight. Um, and mm-hmm. she gets to fall in love with herself too. And, um, so that, <laughs> I feel like that's what I was trying to do. And I mean, I wrote it amid the like 2016 election as well. And so I was really going through it at that time mm-hmm. and sort of feeling like I was living in a society that was telling me I didn't belong in any realm. And so this was kind of my response, like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to write a book that celebrates all the things you don't like about me and take that. (laughs) I love it. I love it because, I mean, and particularly for the YA audience, like all teenagers, like all YA readers, like yearn, like yearning is such a big part of that life stage. (laughs) And yes, you're right. Like we don't have representation of kids yearning and getting what they yearn for when they're not in, you know, when they are in marginalized bodies in all varieties of ways. So I love that. And yes, I love that she is desired. Like, I think that's like some of the most fun parts to read is, you know, it just really, it's like, yeah, it's really sweet and sexy and like special to sort of have that experience in a book, you know, it's really, (laughs) it's really great. Like it's, I think I can imagine so many girls in all body types, but particularly bigger girls, just feeling like, yes, <laughs> when yes they read that. we deserve that too. <laughs> yes. yes. It's awesome. It's Thank awesome. You. Um, yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you were writing against. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. Trump. Yep. For sure. Yes. Oh, always. Um, <laughs> always. <laughs> um, but you know, in particular to the way fat kids are normally portrayed in, in YA and other yeah. literature, um, you know, and it's tricky because like, you know, Charlie does talk about her weight. She is aware of her size and how particularly like how her mom is dealing with it. And, yeah. you know, but it is not a book about like her needing to, 
change that or like she kind of always inherently accepts herself it's like she has to just sort of own the fact that she's accepting herself right exactly yeah which is a shift so yeah talk a little bit about what you were trying to not do or kind of write against so it's interesting because I think that it's really important for fat folks to have stories that both talk a lot about being fat and also don't acknowledge fatness at all. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like with this book, I was trying to very much immerse the reader in when you are fat. (laughs) For some people, that invades a lot of what you think about because it is what society very much sees. And it's like the only thing some people see when they look at you. And so that's kind of the world where Charlie's living in. And she's like, she, she would probably love herself a whole lot more if the rest of the world didn't have these big opinions about her body and about mm-hmm. her eating habits or exercise habits or whatever else. Um, so I kind of wanted to push back on the idea that all fat people like hate themselves inherently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with Charlie, she certainly doesn't hate herself. Is she down on herself? Yeah, of course. And mm-hmm. does she experience insecurities? Yes. She's a teenager. She's a human. We all, we all right. feel that. Right. And so I kind of wanted to show like, it's way more complicated than that. Right. Like, so she is at this point in her life where she's like, I celebrate all bodies. It's mm-hmm. just my body that I have a hard time with. Right. Um, and so I wanted to have that be an, I guess, anti-trope, right? Where it's like, she's not this fat girl who's like, oh, let me hide in myself. No, she wants to wear cute clothes and she wants to have all of these great experiences. Um, And I wanted her to have all of that without ever dieting or Mm -hmm. losing weight. Um, So that was a big one too, because I feel like I've read a lot of books and gotten excited, like, oh my God, there's a fat person in this book. And then they lose weight right. or they get thin. And it's like, and now they live happily ever after, which mm-hmm. is like not how that works. Yes. I still remember, and I love Jennifer Weiner's book so much, but I still remember in Good and Bad, um, I think that's her first one, um, you know, when Cammy like starts riding her bike a lot and she doesn't mm-hmm. lose weight, but she says like she shifts it around or something. And I just remember being like, but why was that necessary? Like, why, why we love Cammy? We've been rooting for Cammy this whole book. And you know, why does that have to be part of it? Um, so yeah, exactly. And it feels so demoralizing when you're the fat girl and you're reading these stories and you're like, well, I guess the inevitable is I have to lose weight Mm -hmm. if I want happiness or love or whatever. Right, Right. Um, and then there's also this idea that like the, the fat people in stories are like the sidekick bestie asexual funny person Mm -hmm. and like they don't get to sort of desire or be desired and I didn't want that for Charlie I wanted her to come out first thing and be like yeah I dream about being kissed and I'm not sorry (laughs) you know (laughs) because I think that's way more accurate and so she is this person who's like I want to go buy a cute bra and also I want to be super funny and sarcastic why not both yes yes (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And speaking of sidekicks, I mean, you populate her world with such an amazing friend group that I also wanted to talk about um, because, I mean, they are not just sort of like one dimensional sidekicks at all. Like the, all of her friends, I mean, the love interest, Brian, and then her best mm-hmm. friend, like they're all very like fully formed characters dealing with their own stuff in different ways. Um, 
And you really layer in like so many intersections of race and gender, gender identity, excuse me, along with the body diversity stuff. Mm -hmm. And yet she lives in this mostly white town and just sort of struggling with that experience. So you pack a lot in. (laughs) (laughs) First, I just want to say that's amazing that you kind of put all that nuance in. Um, But yeah, I'm just curious to hear more about, you know, how did you sort of develop those characters? Think about what sort of other stories you wanted to tell through her friends and through their arcs. Yeah, so I, my experience living and growing up in a mostly white town and mostly kind of like just, I don't know, like straight, like cis, you know, all the quote unquote normal things in a town. I feel like that drives anybody who has any semblance of an other or marginalized identity together. Mm -hmm. Um, And you find like community with one another because you feel like for whatever reason, you kind of don't fit in. So that is kind of how I viewed Charlie and her friends and like this tight group of people who come together because for whatever reason, they feel like they're othered in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted her friends to have these like beautifully robust and nuanced lives um, and have their own things going on. And I feel like that comes from, like I spent a lot of time on Tumblr when I was growing up and just like these online communities where we would complain about like, yeah, it's great that there's a, this like wonderful black best friend, but they never get to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like they clearly exist to help this white main character achieve XYZ. And so I wanted to think of all of Charlie's friends as like, oh no, any one of these people, we could read a book about them. And Mm -hmm. because that's what it's like in real life, they have their own lives. They have their own experiences. Um, But at the same time, I have, I am just like, I'm a fat Puerto Rican girl. Like I'm, you know, cis and whatever. And so I didn't feel like some of those identities I could tackle in that like first person intimate way that I can mm-hmm. with Charlie's. Um, so like Amelia is black pansexual and like this very sporty girl. Like, I, I don't know about any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bi, but not pan. And so it was like, I want to talk about like, but I have friends who have had these experiences. So I mm-hmm. wanted to talk about them and talk about some of like the jitters that you feel and the experiences, but without having to get into such a close like first person way because I didn't just didn't feel like I could do it any justice but I felt there was some nice like mirroring into what Charlie was experiencing um and just trying to shed light on some of these different identities and make you think about things hopefully in ways that you wouldn't have um especially if you're from a very white town or you're from a town that doesn't have these other Mm -hmm. identities in them hopefully you like meet these people through Charlie and you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And you're rooting for them. Yeah. I mean, when Amelia like comes out to her parents, like it's so moving and, you know, there's just like a lot of, yeah. Yeah. I love how you followed those journeys and wove them in. And yeah, like you said, the kind of mirroring mirroring with Charlie's experiences. Um, It's great. It's really well Thank you. Um, So what are you hearing from readers? What kind of responses have you gotten, especially from fat kids reading the book? So I feel like it has been so incredible and I I, I have a hard time putting into words, I think, the response that I've been fortunate to get. So there, people have reached out and just shared like an appreciation and a sense of like validation in reading Charlie's stories. Um, And it's not just people who are her age and it's not just people who are fat. It's not 
you know, like it's, it's different age ranges. It's different Mm -hmm. body types. It's some people who are fat, but they're not brown or they're Mm -hmm. brown, but they're not fat. Like it's, it's really interesting. And to, to hear from people, the different things that sort of resonated with them. Um, I hoped right when I was writing this, that that would happen, but I don't think in my wildest dreams, I ever thought it would. Um, and so I think to hear from people who have had similar, have a similar identity to me and hear them say like, they get to look at this book and see a character that looks like them. And that is meaningful. It is, it makes you want to cry because that's exactly what I wanted and yearned for when I was, you know, 15, 14, whatever. I so badly just wanted to go into a bookstore and to read a book about a girl like me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's been really um, humbling, I think, to hear from people who are like, oh, I I used to consider myself a Charlie and I have an Amelia and like, that is the best. Yeah. And I've, um, I've even had, there's been a couple of people who've like recreated the cover. The uh, green with, dress. Oh, I love that. Dress. And I'm like, oh my God, can I just <laughs> be besties with all of you? Because you're incredible. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. And I think too, like for, cause I have a lot of parents listening to this, you know, um, the fact that, because what I often hear from parents of kids in bigger bodies is like, I want a book that where the fat kid is just the hero, you know, the hero or the heroine. Oh. And it's not about their like body acceptance journey. And I think like, as much as Charlie is really sort of reckoning with her weight in this book, like that is, your book is one of the closest examples I think we have to that because she is so much just her own person and her on her own journey. And so I just want to say to parents, like, this is, this is one like that, that you're looking for uh, oh, for your you. kids. <laughs> um, because yeah, it's, it's really, there is not weight loss. There is not, you know, the sort of standard stuff. And so this is a really good one to have in family libraries for that reason. Um, and, you know, even for younger, like my daughter, my older daughter's eight. I feel like she's maybe a couple years off from reading it, but not that far. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like it, it works for a wide variety of age ranges too, I think. So yeah, yeah. I think especially as you're getting into those like awkward middle school years, I yes. feel like Charlie's your girl because she's not been kissed at the start of the book and she's yeah. still, she's 16 and she's still like, she feels like her peers have surpassed us and she's dealing with the complicated mom and like mm-hmm. this grief in her household. Like there's a lot, I think there that hopefully even younger folks can sort of deal with because yeah. um, I, uh, some YA is more like mature. Right. And we need mm-hmm. that. But also Charlie, when we meet her, she's like, man, I still feel like I'm kind of at the beginning of blossoming, yes. right? Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I think she speaks really well to that reader for sure. Um, another thing that was really interesting to me that you navigate in the book is Charlie with the sort of online communities that she's a part oh, yeah. of. Yeah. You know, she finds a lot of validation online because she does find like different fat influencers and, you know, she's sort of in that body positive space online. And I think that's another thing, you know, we really struggle with, with our kids, of course, and especially right now with everything we're hearing about Instagram and how great they are at teaching kids to have eating disorders, you know, Um, you know, I am definitely wrestling with this desire to like, never let my children online. Um, I get that, you know, which I mean, they're too young for it right now anyway, but like just hearing all this stuff, it's like, Oh God, can we just like put Instagram into a box and send it out to the ocean for now? (laughs) 
Um, and yeah, you know, this is a reminder to me that like kids in marginalized bodies need to find community. And if they're not finding community at school, which not everyone is going to in middle mm-hmm. school and high school, like online can be that portal. So yeah, I'm curious for your thoughts. Like, you know, do you see it as a force for good or a force that needs to be tempered or how are you thinking <laughs> about it these days? I definitely think it can be good and it can have its very toxic mm-hmm. <laughs> sides as well. Um, and I see this a lot as someone who just manages social media for a brand, mm-hmm. right? So like I use it as myself, of course, but then I also see the other flip side of like, there's a lot of hate and a lot of anger, I think. Um, so I wanted to show that, yes, of course, social media has the power to be toxic, but at the same time, it can, like you said, bring you together with people who are like you that you might otherwise kind of struggle to meet. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, when I was growing up, I was very much the girl on Tumblr and dating myself. I also was on live journal a lot. (laughs) And There was this amazing community there called the fashionista community. So it was just fat people posting pictures of themselves wearing clothes. Mm -hmm. And it was like before, you know, before like superposed, like beautiful Instagramming people, it was truly just like fat people in fat bodies. And here's what I'm wearing today. And what do you think? Mm -hmm. And at that time, the internet was very ugly and toxic <laughs> and especially for fat folks. And like, let's be real still is, mm-hmm. but this was, this felt like a little safe haven. Like it mm-hmm. was a, a nice place where I could go and see bodies that looked like mine for the first time in my life. Yeah, and amazing. so in that sense, I think social media can be super, super powerful. It's just that you have to kind of, when you're part of a marginalized community, you have to take that extra step to then mm-hmm. like curate your feed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means not following like mainstream media, even well-meaning ones. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're following hashtags or you're finding people through those hashtags. Like, so if you're looking at hashtag diet culture or mm-hmm. fat, um, fat activism or whatever, um, mm-hmm. if you're looking through those, then you can find influencers or people who are just kind of thinking about this stuff and talking about it. Um, and for Charlie, the most powerful thing is just being able to see girls like her who are out there rocking cute outfits mm-hmm. and get style inspiration. And that helps her kind of build her confidence. Cause she's like, Hey, this person has a body like mine and they look amazing. So could I look amazing? Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I would always say like, unfollow literally anybody who makes you feel even a tiny bit bad about yourself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I think that's so helpful. And I think that's something, you know, as parents, we're sort of figuring out how to teach our kids more like media literacy skills, which I mean, to be honest, like we all need to learn too. So we're we're learning (laughs) with our kids. Um, But I think that's a great sort of way to think about like, okay, if your kid's begging to get on Instagram or whatever, and you're on the verge of, you know, losing that battle. (laughs) How can you like, you know, experience it with them and help them like seek out these little pockets of goodness, you know, as opposed to just like mindlessly following every influencer that, you know, and there's right. Like ignore, ignore when Instagram suggests who you should follow and you make the list. instead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a good exercise for you. I mean, this is the type of stuff I wish they were teaching in middle school and high school, you know, like the, um, I agree. I can't believe kids how to (laughs) navigate these spaces. Um, I think it's would be really powerful. Um, yeah. So, 
Um, let's see, where are we? I'm just looking at my notes. Um, oh, so, you know, you are a writer and you have a day job and you're a mom. So you're juggling all of the things. Um, and (laughs) I always love to ask fellow writers a little bit about their writing process. Like, where do you write? When do you write? What do you like about your process? What do you hate about it? (laughs) Um, And it sounds like you're probably fitting it in around a lot of things. So yeah, tell us what that's like. Yeah, I would say like, before I had my kid, my writing routine was more like, oh, it's all about like the vibe. And like, I'm curating this like feeling I'm going to coffee shops. And now I feel like I've gotten pretty good at writing anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually just need my laptop and my headphones and like a good playlist of some kind on Spotify and my toddler not to be ripping my laptop out of my hands. And then that I'm like, very helpful. Yes. <laughs> so I have, um, like a desk set up in my bedroom and it's like in this small alcove and it feels really cozy. And so I've hung up like these little twinkle lights and it's got some natural light mm-hmm. and I'm very much like a feelings mood person. So mm-hmm. I feel like the, the combo of that really helps me sort of get out of my head and move away into like a different space so that I can think about these characters and think about the dialogue and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as long as I can like put my headphones in and turn the world off, that's where I'm at. Um, And the thing I hate the most, I think about my current writing process is really that it is so chaotic and I never know when I'm going to have the time to Mm -hmm. actually sit down and write because sometimes at the end of the day, it's like my kid went to sleep early and I don't have any chores to do, like knock on wood. Mm-hmm. I'm caught up on things and now I can write, but I'm so tired. Right. <laughs> and this is when I just want to like veg out with the television or whatever. And not, right. yeah, yeah. And vegging out wins a lot. I'm not going to yeah. lie. <laughs> I mean, it needs to, like it has brains to. need to turn, like, there are weeks where I'm like, there's just no more words. Like I can't come I up have with nothing. Anything. Yeah. I have no words to say. So I can't write today. And that's hard. Um, yeah, but, that's yeah. why I totally yeah. like, I don't know. I, I know some people like writing every day, they live and die by that. And that's what works for them. And I really am envious. I think of those people, mm-hmm. but I'm team like, I got to take a break and write when I can. And I like to think that daydreaming is mm-hmm. also part of the writing process, at least for me. And just like thinking about characters and mm-hmm. you know, very much channeling my Charlie Vega energy of just mm-hmm. like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? If... <laughs> and so I, I count that as writing now. <laughs> That's the, I mean, I think that absolutely is the work and it's the work that we can do. You know, I do that a lot when I'm like driving and running errands. I'm like thinking through an article in my head, um, yeah. you know, walking the dog. Like you can do that work in a way while you're like doing the rest of your life in a way that you cannot obviously like when it's time to sit down and be at the computer. Like you said, you need to shut out the world then. Um, exactly. So yeah, I think sort of building that muscle of being able to do that is actually quite helpful because it makes it easier to focus once you sit down. But oh, you get me. That's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> I also feel like the writing everyday people, and now I'm going to get people being mad at me because they write every day and they love it. And it's great. You do you. But I feel like there's a parallel with the like I work out every day people <laughs> where oh I'm kind of like, is this perfectionism serving you or is it an obsession that you can't like step back from? Like, I there's, feel that. You know, like because as a journalist, I literally can't write every day because often I'm researching and reporting right? and I need to do that in order to write. So I tend to have like weeks of the month. It's a little different with the newsletter. Now I have to write every week to produce the newsletter. 
Um, but even that I'm still kind of like figuring out what process works. It's not writing every day. And then there's like a week in the month when I'm producing a book chapter, like that I've been researching all month and that's like Mm -hmm. intensive and I'll have like 3000 word days of like getting out this chapter. And for a long time, I felt like guilty. Like I should be doing it more systematically and writing like smaller. And then I'm like, or this is how I do it. (laughs) Exactly. I think like, again, I, if people write every day and that works for them, I think that's truly incredible. And I'm Mm -hmm. in awe, but yeah, I think what people don't talk about when they talk about writing is it's so individual and it's like, you can try every method that you hear from other great writers and you could fail at all yeah. of that because yes. it's just, it's not how your brain works and it's not how you think creatively. Yeah. You have to just find out what works for you. Yeah. And I feel like it is often, and then you have to make peace with that being what works for yes. you because it often doesn't feel very satisfying. <laughs> I know. Like if you're not a morning person, being a part of the 5 a.m. writers club is never going to work. It's never going to be your thing. Yeah. That's yeah. Not- yeah. So don't, don't, yeah. Worry, don't bother. You know? And if you are a morning person like me trying to push yourself to work after your kids go to bed is always going to fail. Like TV will win every time. Like it yeah. just is never going to happen. And so exactly. I no longer hold that expectation. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well tell us about the new book that's coming out in February. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to hear more about this. So this book is called no filter and other lies. Um, it's another young adult book and it, guess what? It features another fat brown girl. <laughs> so, I was hoping it would. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So at its core, um, it's actually interesting because we were just talking about social media and that's really what this next book deals with Instagram specifically. Ooh, so great. it's about a 17 year old girl. Her name's Kat Sanchez. Um, and she is a, an artist, a photographer, and, um, she really wants to kind of, gain clout and gain recognition for her work Mm -hmm. and it's not happening like every time she posts it kind of falls flat and she's seeing her classmates get recognition and her friends and everybody's followers growing and not hers and um she you know has like this complicated family and weird romance kind of going on and she kind of feels like a fraud in a lot of ways and she doesn't have everything figured out and there's this particularly bad night that sort of leads her down a rabbit hole of not wanting to be herself anymore. So she decides that she's going to steal her friend's pictures and become someone else entirely on Instagram and be a literal catfish with a K. Catfish oh, oh, I see what you did there. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So interesting. It explores these ideas of like what's real versus what's fake on Instagram and how even people who are the closest to it, like Kat, who is a photographer and who knows there's photo editing, still struggles to see that they're not everything we see is is real sometimes. Um, And it really kind of dives into how do you how do you manage yourself on social media and how do you stay sane and how do you kind of come out on the other side and appreciate who you are and appreciate your existence as it is oh my gosh I can't wait to read this and <laughs> thank you I will and again I feel like you're writing a book that like both will so resonate with kids because they're struggling with this and will be so helpful for adults because we also don't know how to do this um, so, <laughs> so hard uh, it's so hard so hard it's so hard so oh this sounds great I can't wait to read it um 
Yeah. And keep us posted. Are you working on, I always hate to ask when you're like getting ready to promote another book, if you are now <laughs> writing a third book, but I am curious to know if you're writing. Something. I am working on a third book. So this <laughs> no filter and otherwise comes out February 1, 2022. And then this next book I'm working on, um, returns to like the fluffy rom-com esque world. And it's about, um, it's about like, about fall and all of the delightful things that come with like mm-hmm. New England falls and also features this fat girl who realizes she has um, polycystic ovarian syndrome and wants to hide this from the world while also kind of you know trying to figure herself out so that's all I'll say for now but that's oh kind gosh. of what I'm working on um I mean I already want to pre-order it I'm so <laughs> excited Crystal that you are writing these books that there are going to be like so many crystal books out there for all of our girls. So. <laughs> this is so needed. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, and now we will wrap up with my new recommendation segment um, where we talk about just anything we're loving. It doesn't have to be a product, but it can be a product. or <laughs> It can be an experience you're having. So yeah. What do you have for us? So I am loving, like speaking of, being at the end of the day and just needing to like lean into TV nailed it on Netflix just came out with a new season. So the baking show, um, which Nicole Byer hosts. Mm -hmm. So I am a huge fan of Nicole Byer and I just think she's so funny and she's also fat and she just has these fabulous outfits on each episode and you get to basically kick back and watch a bunch of bakers be terrible at baking. And (laughs) she makes jokes at their expense, but in like the most wholesome and sweet way. (laughs) Oh, I'm very excited. Yes. I have been watching this new season and just loving every second because I get to like turn my little brain off, look at her amazing outfits and just be like, I wonder if Nicole's looking for a bestie because I'm, I'm, (laughs) we could hang. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm Um, loving right now. Oh, that is great. I haven't watched it at all. And I'm now asking myself how I've missed this. So you gotta check it out. In the queue. In the queue. Absolutely. (laughs) No, it sounds great. Um, that's perfect. Um, my recommendation is a little more of a left turn. I'm going to recommend pencil cactuses. Uh, people who follow me on Instagram know that I am very much a plant lady, like a plant hoarder lady. Love this. Um, and you know, people will say like, what's a good house plant to start with? And like, there's the ones that you kind of see all the time, which are great. And I have like too many of them. (laughs) Um, but pencil cactuses, I'm going to link to a good post that tells people all about it. And I'll put a photo of one of mine in your a really good starter house plant that gets overlooked because they're very hard to kill. They do not really need to be watered. They would prefer not to be watered very often. You're speaking um, my language. So yes, this is great for people who are like, I can't water house plants. Like you don't have to water this one. Like maybe every two weeks. That's it. Oh my God. Um, it does need a fair amount of light. Like it wants your sunniest windowsill. I will say that, but it's like a very cool, like, it's actually not a cactus. It's a euphorbia if you want to get technical, but it's like all these little narrow kind of shooty things. And Mm -hmm. as it gets colder, which it now is getting colder, most of them start to like they're green, but then they start to develop this kind of red color. That's really pretty in the fall. Um, And they're just like, they bring me a lot of joy. They get huge. They grow really easily. Like, so their status, like, you know, some house plants like don't really change and you're like, am I growing something or is this like, is this fake? Absolutely. Um, Pencil cactuses are just delightful. And I feel like nobody's talking about them. And I want to be like, 
the the person who made them trendy. <laughs> Note to self, buy a pencil cactus. I'm uh, in. <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, you'll find them at like, they, you won't always find them in like the big box store plant sections, but any like smaller plant store should have them. Um, and you can definitely, I'll link to some stuff on, I think you can find them on Etsy. Um, and, and you can get a little one and it will grow big for you. So don't feel like you have to like invest on this. Like just get a small one, put it on your Sunday window still. And enjoy. Oh my God. I really want one. You've totally sold me on right. it. <laughs> delightful. I'm glad. Well, my Thank work you. is done. Thank you. Um, Crystal, tell listeners where they can follow you and stay tuned for all your book updates and everything. Yes. So if you want to follow me and sort of just feel my feelings and see Beyonce pictures and see where glitter is going to end up, I am Crystal Rote. So past tense of right everywhere. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on TikTok, which why, but why not? <laughs> um, and my website is crystalrote.com. Awesome. And I will make sure to link to all of that in the transcript too. And thank you all so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you like this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, please do so. If you are a subscriber, thank you for doing that. And please consider sharing this on social media or forwarding it to a friend. Burnt Toast transcripts and essays are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus size clothing. It's awesome. Check it out. My logo is by Deanna Lowe, and I'm Virginia Soul Smith. You can find more of my work at virginiasoulsmith.com or on Instagram and Twitter. I am at the underscore Soul Smith. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you soon.